I know that there are some here that are, uh, that are 30 plus. Uh, the reality is that's not most of you here at the late gathering. Uh, we're, we're, glad, we're glad all ages are here. But I want to say something specific to uh, the 30 and unders. Um, tonight I want to be, um, I pray by the Spirit of God, incredibly bold with you. Because tonight is, uh, is the word that I wish I would have heard uh, when I was in your season of life. And so what you're going to have to, what you're going to have to prepare for is you're going to have to know that my intention and my motive is love. I have no desire to, um, to be some angry uh, parent or some angry friend tonight. Uh, I want you to hear everything that I pray would be only the Spirit speak tonight as words of love and affection, okay? So that said, if you Google uh, quotes on wisdom, there's a whole lot of jive that starts coming up, okay? And so I thought what would be best is if we looked at four quotes on wisdom that came from, come from some of the greatest thinkers of all time, at least by cultural standards. So uh, where, where should you naturally start? Socrates. I don't even know who it is, but it's a big name. Here's what he says, okay? It, it is a he, right? Socrates is a he. The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. That's what, that's what Socrates says on the idea of wisdom. Agree or disagree with that? Any of you guys agree with that? Agree? Raise a hand. All right. Three of you, good. All right, here's the uh, next, uh, next slide. This quote comes from, uh, I believe, a painter. Wasn't Da Vinci a painter? Okay. He was a painter in uh, South America in the 1500s, I believe. Here's what he says. Um, Wisdom is the daughter of experience, which initially is weird, right? The daughter is like something impregnated. Like, this is just strange. Uh, but when you start to think about it, you're like, okay, that's, that's interesting, right? Uh, next slide. Here's from our good friend uh, Plato, not to be confused with Play-Doh. Here's what he says. Uh, Wise men talk because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. Mmm. Okay, that's a tasty little treat right there, isn't it? Right? right? It's kind of like, okay. Right. Everybody feel like he's preaching a little bit there? That's, that's nice. Now, I, I, can't, I can't talk about wisdom without bringing in my dead, dear friend. That's right. Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he says. Mic drop right here. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. Don't you just picture him just like, boop, and he just rolls right out, right? That was a, anyway. But to know how to use knowledge, he says, is to have wisdom. Um, what I wish someone would have told me when I was... Uh, in your season of life, I, I wish someone would have warned me in the appropriate way about how much the pull from the world around me is trying to feed me things at every corner and how difficult it is at times to discern what's wise and not. And what's happened because of the influx of information some facts, some not, some true, some false, is it has cluttered your life. Uh, It has taken something that I would propose to you that's meant to be simple, and it has made it very, very intensely complicated. I would would guess that there's not one of you that would say, I really want a, a more chaotic life. Right? If I were like to have that poll happen right now. Again, I'm guessing no one's going to raise their hand. Like, please bring on more busyness. That's what I need. My guess is the longing of all of you would be what Henry David Thoreau had to go to the wilderness to find, and that's simplicity. My proposal tonight is you don't need to go to the wilderness to find simple. And so everything from God's word tonight that comes out is the exact word that I wish I would have heard in your season of life. So I'm going to pray for your reception, for my heart's reception. I'm going to pray for those of you that have no idea who I am tonight. That you would just, that you would hear these words as words of love, not from some angry dude with the blue shirt on. All right, so let me pray. 
Let me pray for God's word to, to mold and shape our hearts. And then we're going to go for it. Father, I would ask for preparation in my friends' hearts. We want something more, God. Uh, I just confess of my own life that it feels, it feels so crazy and, and intense and um, convoluted at times, God. I, just, I don't know which way is up or down at times, and I'm just confessing my desperate need of your help. And so I pray that tonight. Come to our rescue here and now through your word. Move, Holy Spirit, in your great name, amen. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We just started this journey, as Paul writes, what has turned out to be a total of four letters to the church in Corinth. Why? Because Corinth is a mess. Division, sexuality, gone crazy, uh, tremendous strife. Uh, Corinth is in disarray. So Paul has already written one letter to Corinthians. This is termed 1 Corinthians because we lost or don't have the first letter. And then we'll see later evidence in uh, 2 Corinthians of uh, evidence of a fourth letter. So he spends a tremendous amount of time writing to Corinthians because they are in such disarray. And tonight he attacks a very specific thing that is not just relevant for the church in Corinth, but certainly us. So here's where he ended last week in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, in Corinth, they are obsessed in a lustful sense with wisdom. They want it, they long for it. I believe it's because everyone everywhere is looking for two things, love and truth. They're lusting after the truth piece. And so they will go to whatever means possible to feed themselves with more truth. They'll listen to all kinds of different thought, expose themselves to all kinds of different thought in the hopes of being fed, yet what again? Wisdom. So Paul says, look, I I didn't come to you with eloquent wisdom. I came to you with something simple. I didn't say easy. I came to you with something simple. He says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And the brilliant thing that we ended on last week and we begin tonight It doesn't matter what happens, the cross of Christ will never be emptied of its power, ever. Your liberal professor, your neighbor down the street, your good friend can say whatever they want about the cross of Christ, and none of those statements will empty the cross of its power. So here's what he adds in verse 18. Hello, here we go. For the word of Christ is folly, uh, for the word of the cross, rather, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. This immediately puts every single person in this room and in the world into two camps. Check this out. Next slide. Two separate camps. Number one, those who are perishing. This doesn't sound fun. This doesn't sound like words of encouragement or affirmation, but this is true. Every single one of us are born, even though we look so innocent coming out with our little, you know, head, what do they call that? bonnet, okay, like whatever, whatever you are put in as a child, we look so innocent, but we're not, we're sinful, sons of the devil, First John says, like we're born completely depraved, in desperate need of something, but, but that's how we're born, already in the process of perishing, uh, that's, that's one camp, the other camp, they, they view the cross a little bit different, but let's begin with the camp, those who are perishing, here's what Paul says about them, next slide, to that group, The cross is folly, or we could say foolishness. Well, the question is why? Uh, Let me explain. In Corinth, the cross brought with it tremendous amounts of heinous thought. Um, Like right now, if you go to a a, a carnival with kids, do they have the section that that, that sells like replica uh, electric chairs? Right? Like, are, are you like, you're riding on the Ferris wheel with, you know, some little children, and then right after the Ferris wheel, there's like the merchandise of electric chairs with dolls on it being electrocuted? No, like, heck no. That's the, the farthest thing from the truth. It would be that equivalent with the cross in Corinth's day. It brought with it a, a sense of death and blood. It brought with it a, a sense of criminalization. It brought with it, like, I don't, 
In fact, uh, they wouldn't even say the word cross at times because it it brought so much um, hatred and hurt. So to Corinth, the cross is foolishness because to use the cross for any kinds of good or any kinds of hope or any kinds of life is completely contradictory. Again, it would be like us having hope in an electric chair or some other form of uh, execution. So number one, the cross is foolishness because in the culture, it was a means of death. The second reason why the cross is foolishness is a crucified Messiah is a contradiction. The fact that a Messiah, a Savior, a Redeemer, would be crucified makes absolutely no sense, right? Because if you are Messiah, if you are Savior, if you are, we could say, King of the world, then that means even as he's hanging on the cross, he could just like whip out his Jesus grenade launchers and smoke all the Romans and everyone else who was taking advantage of him. Like, in fact, he was implored by those who were around him, like, dude, save your, not dude, but, you know, Jesus, save yourself and us, right? Like, but he didn't. And so the cross is foolishness because a, a God-man that would claim to be the Son of God and claim to be Messiah and claim to be Savior, that he would die makes absolutely no salvation sense. And so for some of you tonight, that's why the cross is foolishness. Uh, you would say, well, God wouldn't die. Uh, and lastly, and maybe the most pertinent to many of you here, in general, you carry with yourself this belief that there is no good that can come from life are from death and suffering and hurt. Uh, The moment that death, suffering, or hurt occur in your life, you run the other direction, you want nothing to do with it. Instead of seeing even what could be taught to you through the journey, like you want as far away, uh, you want to run as far away from it as possible, which is why those who are perishing see the cross as foolishness, hurt, pain, death, blood, gruesome. I want nothing to do with it. Now, listen, for those of you that have come here tonight, please hear this. For those of you that have come here tonight, and this is the camp that you're in, you're like, the cross makes no sense. I've been distant. I'm tired of church stuff. I've been like riddled with rules and everything all of my life. Can you please hear me for one second? I know that there's a lot of junk out there. I know there's a lot of stuff out there, even in the name of Jesus, that has had the shroud of wisdom. But can tonight, can you hear a new truth? Or maybe better said, could you hear an old truth in a different way? Rules and regulations and stipulations and hatred and some of the things that you've associated with Christ and the church, I pray tonight, it not just your mind changes about those things, but your heart. The gospel is about freedom. It's about hope and love and grace and forgiveness of sins. So if you're here and you're in that first camp, listen, thank you for coming. It's amazing to have you here. Uh, Maybe in other contexts, like you've walked in and you instantly uh, felt like uh, that that you should be ostracized. Here, continue to come with your curiosity. And I'm praying even for you tonight that God would do an insane work in your heart. Why? Because there's others in a different camp. And those other camp, next slide. Those who are being saved, and it's not that they're like, It's not that they're not already justified or they're not already seen as innocent, so don't get confused by being saved. It just means we're all looking forward to one day when all of this will be finalized. New heaven, new earth, new bodies, all the things that come with being with Christ forever. So the being saved is those of us in Christ, we are already saved, but we're waiting on a final, for lack of a better term, redemption. Now to those people, the cross is the power of God. It's not just like a gold chain or some wood that's put together. It's power. Listen, what the world didn't need was another teacher or another philosopher or another person who could articulate nicely or even another prophet. What the world needed was a redeemer. Was someone that could save them from themselves. And that came with it in Christ, power. Not just words. Not just things you could read on a page. And every single one of you in Christ are the evidence of the power of God. Because in you, you know what you've been brought from. You know the crap that you once believed and the truth that you've now been freed in. 
You know the lies that used to like grab your head and pull you down with them. And now you know the truth that scripture says has completely set you free. You know that it's power. And I can't say this in any other way to say Paul is trying to implore this church in Corinth. Look, the cross of Christ is power. It's hope. It's real. It's true. It's alive. But there's two camps. Those camps are clear and those camps are here in this room. So the stage is now set for what Paul will go on to say. Next slide. Verse 18, or verse 19 rather. He adds this, quoting Isaiah chapter 29. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He's quoting Isaiah 29, 14. The premise is, every wisdom, piece of wisdom, thought of wisdom that comes from man, whose origin is man, whose source is man, is temporary and will be destroyed. Every piece of it. But we still listen to it for some reason. Isn't it crazy, right? Like we can read this and we can say, yeah, it's true. Like I, I know that all the stuff that my mind gets infiltrated with and complicates my life. Like I know it's temporary. I know it's going to be destroyed. Then why in the world are you, let me rephrase it. Why in the world am I believing it then? I've had one image in my mind for a couple days. And work with me here when I show this to you. But here's the image that I've had in my mind. Maybe a little bit hard to see where you're from or where you're at. This is a crane that's destroyed half of a building. Now, the wisdom of the world, what it's doing is it's saying things like this. Hey, listen, maybe the crane will stop. Maybe it won't get destroyed. Uh, maybe all like the, the chaos and the, uh, the turmoil that you see in front of you, all the, the lives that have uh, died in front of you, like all the carnage that you can clearly see on the battlefield, maybe it's going to change. So what you should do is you should actually put a business like right there in that last garage bay on the right. Because maybe, maybe all the destruction around you or all the temporal peace that this, that this building represents, maybe it's going to go away. And we have been ignorant enough to believe that. Now, it's not starting a business, but it's investing our lives, our time, and our efforts Believing things with our hearts, through our ears, that things that will be destroyed actually will hold true. The reason I, I wish I would have heard this is I feel like I could have saved myself years worth of believing the wrong things. If someone would have grabbed me by my shirt collar and said, Mark, listen, you have to understand what the enemy and this culture is trying to do. They are perishing. The cross is foolishness. So why in the world would you believe someone who's perishing when you can believe and trust and live in someone who is fully alive? But that's a thing no one ever told me. And so what started to happen is I would, in my lust of wisdom, in my, uh, my lust of growth or, or, or knowledge or truth, I would hear something over here from this person or this idea or this movie or this song and it would point me in this direction. And then I would go over here and the wisdom over here would say, actually go back to where you were. And so then I would go back to this well and then this well would say, actually you need to be here. You guys, it's exhausting because there's no consistency. The wisdom of the world is seen simply by its inconsistency. Enter the diets of our culture, right? Come on, some of you guys started a diet yesterday that you've already started a new one today. Haven't you? You know, like yesterday you woke up and you read something on Facebook, and if you only forever, listen, if you only eat broccoli that's been steamed for 20 minutes and has a thin layer of cheese over top, if you eat that for every meal in 20 days, I guarantee you, you'll lose three pounds, you know? And so you're like, all right, right on, right on. And then the next day, in the same feed, 
You read, hey, listen, broccoli will give you cancer and don't eat broccoli with cheese on it. And if you, right? I'm so confused right now about aspartame. Anybody else? Okay. I used to drink Diet Coke. Okay, any other Diet Coke lovers here? All right then. And I, okay, I used to drink Diet Coke. But, but I, I, you know, I soon lost the taste and I heard that Diet Pepsi was switching to no aspartame. And aspartame has been found to, to give lab rats cancer. You know, I, I don't know how that translates to us, but anyway, so I started drinking Diet Pepsi. Listen, give it two more weeks. Whatever they change aspartame with is soon going to like make mushrooms grow out of my head. There's no consistency. You guys see what I'm saying? That is the world. Hey, listen, build over there. It makes sense. The destruction will end. And so many of you, listen, please hear me. Many of you are on this hamster wheel of a lustful desire to get the next wisdom and the next truth. And the problem is they're all running into each other and you're exhausted. And what God says is, I'm going to destroy all of that. And so everything that you're building on that is counter the wisdom of the scripture will die. So then it's important to know what wisdom is. Cue the Hebrew and Greek. Check this out. This will be a good tap for some of you guys, all right? That, that top one's kind of cool looking, all right? This, that's a Hebrew word for wisdom, hakma, okay? And then underneath it, the, the Greek word sopapia. Um, <laughs> took you, that's not sopapia. Any sopapia fans though? Okay, praise God and the wisdom of the world. Sopapias are great. Now, both of these, both of these, Hebrew and Greek word. They have the same root. The connotations of both of these words, listen, wisdom and its attachment to skill. Most of you, if I were to ask you what wisdom is, you would say uh, it's, um, it's thought, it's truth, it's like idea. But actually in the root of it, the heart is, is skill. A professor at Covenant Seminary defined it uh, this way, in a helpful way. Next slide. He says, uh, did Jack Collins, that wisdom is the skill in the art of godly living. So in other words, wisdom and action, wisdom and life find tremendous cohesion. But you haven't been lured much with life. You've been lured a lot with words. You've been lured a lot with perception. The world talks so much more now than it did when I was a kid. Seriously. Can I, can I tell you something? People used to leave voicemails on my home phone that we wouldn't return the call for like 24 hours and no one thought we were dead. Right now, if you don't return a phone call in 20 minutes, or if you don't see the little dot, dot, dot on the iMessage in an instant response to the text, like people think you're angry, people think you'd be hating, like people just, they, they think all kinds of things, right? There are so many more words, and we're attributing words and wisdom instead of the action that the words create. So to further this premise and to attack, here's what Paul says next. Where is the one who is wise in this pattern of rhetorical questions in 1 Corinthians? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, he said. So if God has made it foolish, how and why haven't we seen it? So I want to show you something. Next slide. Okay, cue the graph. Now, um, I want to imagine for a second that all of us are in ethics class. Uh, by the way, worst college class ever, okay? Like anyone else, I just, I hated ethics. I, I never could understand what we were talking about. Like none of the books had pictures. I just, I was frustrated. <laughs> I was frustrated. Um, so let's say, let's say 
uh, the ethics teacher who you know for sure, and I'm not judging ethics teachers as a whole, just about 90% of them, okay? Let's say, let's say that this ethics teacher does not know the Lord, okay? Pagan, he's a part of the camp that is perishing. And he stands up in front of class one day, and in his ethicalness, he says this. A class, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this truth. It is better to live in truth than it is to lie. Now, the two camps in the room, those who are perishing and those who believe the cross is the power of God, are having to process that word, which is supposed, uh, supposedly to lead to some kind of action. It's better to live truthfully than to lie. So let's walk through how a person who's perishing would process it. First, they would consider the source. The source, in this case, is uh, the professor, someone they have a relationship with, someone they don't. It doesn't matter. He's the source. He then shares some words of wisdom. It's better to live in truth than it is to lie. Uh, the person who is perishing receives that, and now they have to process the implications on how they live. Well, for, for those who are perishing, here's the process. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. It is better to live in truth uh, than it is to lie. And, and they're like, they're writing in their notes, yeah, you're right, like that, that would, yes, if I could figure out how to live that way, then that would, yeah, that's how I do it. And they, and they walk out, and in about 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, they catch themselves lying. And then all of a sudden they, they realize, like, hold on a second. Okay, so I guess, all right, so I, clearly I need to work on this. So, all right, I, I, like, I know this is true, and, but, but somehow I need to figure out the rhythms and the systems. Like, I, I need to add all of this stuff to help me not lie because I know that living in truth is better. And for those who are perishing, the wisdom of the world, what it does is it chokes, suffocates, and adds a further noose to the already yoke of slavery that is covering them and ultimately sentencing them to death because there's no hope. They have to continually work harder to try to live better because in their heart they believe that if they just live better, maybe in the end, things will be a wash. You know what this is like, because some of you guys are right there right now. Working harder, trying to live better, thinking that somehow in the combination of those things, that a good God surely wouldn't turn his back on you. Uh, so let's process then how uh, a believer, a Christian, someone who believes the cross is the power of God would process. At first they would consider the source. Who's the source? A pagan non-believer. Okay, so we take that in consideration. All right, it's, it's coming from someone who is not regenerate, someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God, God in them, and then they share. And what they share is it's better to live in truth than it is to lie. And so you're like, hold on a second, hold on a second. And all of a sudden, the catalog of Scripture starts reeling in your mind and in your heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying things like, the truth will set you free, or um, that we are the light of the world, uh, and all the texts in 1 John that talk about the power of truth, and on and on. Like, you start to realize that, hold on a second, where did he get that? Where did that come from? Now, your response, as you hear it, you're like, okay, that wisdom aligns itself with Scripture. So now, what's my response in life? My response in life is in a noose, my response in life isn't suffocation. Why? Because I've been freed by the power of Christ to walk counter a condemnation. And now when I walk out of the classroom and 20 minutes later, I see myself sinning. I see myself lying. I see myself battling. Guess what as a believer I get to do? Not go on sinning so grace may increase. Not take advantage of grace. Oh, no. I, in that moment, get to cry out through the power of what the cross has done to a good God and say, Lord, I desire to live for you, completely freed from all this burdensome thought. So, God, please help me live in the truth. I get to go to the well. I get to go to the one source of true wisdom, the one thing that can actually help me. And instead of the noose tightening, the shackles are loosed, and I continue 
uh, continually live in the freedom of Christ. So the problem is, why do some of you in Christ not feel freed, right? Listen, I wish someone would have told me this when I was in your season of life. I wish someone would have, would have like grabbed me by the shoulders and looked me right in the eye and said this, just because you hear the lie in your head that you aren't forgiven, it doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you feel shame, it doesn't mean that you're shamed. Just because you feel like there's no way out, it doesn't mean that there's not. Instead, what I got was self-help. Hey, it's going to get better. Hey, there's no condemnation in Christ. Just believe that more. I wish I could just look at every single one of you in the eye right now and say, listen, there's a whole lot of stuff that's coming at you is trying to web all of this in a confusing way, contradictory to the gospel. But you and I get to rest in something else. Let me tell you what that is. So I thought for years um, on how I can best encourage the body of Christ in the two things that are their biggest struggle. What are the two greatest struggles in the Christian church? Anyone know? Not reading the scripture and not praying which seems kind of errant, doesn't it? Okay, so I've like tried to dream and, and like, God, well, like what, what could we say that would just be the end all, be all so that uh, so the believers and friends of mine that we would actually love God's word and not see it as a textbook or a means of a burden? And my perspective has completely changed now. If my source is man, then that source is imperfect. That includes every preacher. That includes every theologian. That includes every expositor of God's word, every author. Yes, even Francis Chan. It includes all of them. If the source is a man, then the source is imperfect. Then that means part of your journey is discerning from that imperfect source what is true, scriptural, not, or false. Are we together? In other words, every word that I communicate, test it against God's word. Don't take my word for it. And so what happens then is you spend almost your entire faith uh, discerning the words of man and taking them against the scripture. Is what Mark said, is that true? Like, Because, you know, we weren't reading the word at that point. Is that, does that match up with scripture? And on and on and on. And I'm not saying that that journey is errant. No, it's a part of our reality. But there is one source that is fully true. That I don't have to question or go up against its authority. That I get to in the freedom of Christ say, Lord, thank you so much that you've provided something that's living and active and one source of truth. I don't have to spend my time discerning whether each word of it is true. I get in the freedom of Christ to say, God, thank you for the well that you've given me. God, thank you for life. God, thank you for a word that is cutting and that breathes life. And yet, why in the world are we finding ourselves so distant from the scripture? And let me just say it this way. Why in the world are you? And I hear a lot of the same things all the time, right? Like, Mark, but I don't understand it. Listen, it's probably not best as a new believer to start in Ecclesiastes. I'm just like, I don't know who told you to do that. Okay? Right? You went to some discipleship class and like, hey, listen, start in 2nd Aunt Jemima. It's not a real book of the Bible, all right? Like, please, please. Listen, no matter where you're at in your journey, I was talking to a, a girl after the first gathering. All right, I want to encourage you to do this. Starting Luke's gospel, okay? If you're really, really battling tonight, really struggling to go to that source, start in Luke's gospel and read short chunks of scripture. I spend an entire week plus on tonight's seven verses. And God isn't looking down on me and condemning me for my lack of reading. Mark, only seven verses this week. Come on, dude. Right? 
better pick it up. It's a big book, man. You got to read it. He's not doing that. God, God isn't like checking his list and, and, and counting it twice. How does the Santa thing go? He's not doing that, okay? Instead, this book, and the other thing that my sister earlier in the first gathering was saying is, like I read this, and the big question that I keep asking myself is, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And in doing so, you make yourself the central image of the book. But the Lord is. When my mind shifted about 15 years ago, when I started reading God's word to find out who God is, I was freed of all of that. And then this book became a living book about the story of God and not my story fitting in to who God's character is. So then what happens is then those who believe that the cross is power, they start discerning. They start hearing the wisdom from the scripture that says, if you oppress into the Lord, he presses into you. If you draw near to God, he draws near, draws near to you. If, if you walk in step with the spirit of like, all of a sudden you start You start being fueled by these things and guided by these things. And so then those of you who like are are discerning through something, you're like, all right, so where should I go to college? And you're like looking in Matthew 29, which does not exist, and you're looking for God to say in in his word, thou shalt go to Lindenwood, right? Like it's not in there. And it's frustrating for some of you, right? You're like, okay, but why doesn't God tell me who I should date? Right, and you're like skimming, you're like, oh, Rebecca? Okay, yes, Rebecca, all right. And then you're like looking for Rebecca, right. What happens is as you draw near to the Lord, the Spirit starts moving so heavily in you, and you're able to see light from darkness, wisdom of the world versus wisdom from God. You're able to discern, my friends, but right now, so many of you are trying to discern the will of God completely distant from God. Do you understand that is not possible? And yet you're getting frustrated. Mark, why isn't God hearing my prayer? And instead I would say, why aren't you hearing God? We're just getting going. Next slide. Four cents. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Oh, my dear goodness. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Do you guys understand what the scripture is saying? That the cross wasn't all of a sudden God's saying, oh no, he's killing my son, they're they're killing my son. And then all of a sudden he lets it happen. No, the message of how God used the cross, the pain, the suffering, the blood, what does the scripture say? What does Paul say? It what? It pleased God. What God did through Jesus on a cross pleased him why because it was destroying the wisdom of the world the wisdom of the world said no no no. a messiah wouldn't suffer a messiah wouldn't die a messiah wouldn't go to a wooden cross it's not possible and yet god said watch this i will send a messiah through a manger and a virgin and then that god man will die bleeding out for the sins of the world how's that for wisdom Uh, Isaiah 53 prophesies to this. Here's what Isaiah 53 says. Yet it was the will of the Lord. What does that say? To what? To what? Crush him. God's will to sacrifice Jesus. And yet in Sunday school with the felt board, like the picture of Jesus on the cross is like him smiling with flowing Fabio hair. You know? Instead of a God saying, no, I am pleased in what you are doing on the cross and all the heinous, horrific act of it. It pleases me. Now, we're going to have to wrestle hard with what's next. Here's what Paul goes on to say. Speaking of camps, you're in one of these camps. 
you lean that way. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. My proposal is that you're in one of the two camps. Okay, so I want to kind of figure this out, all right? Gauge yourself here. So some of you lean toward, God, give me a sign, right? You're the kind of people, when you're discerning about that college decision or who to date, Lord, please, right now, in the name of your son, Jesus, would you please, God, an airplane with a message on the back, I'll even pay it forward, Lord, would you please bring that? You're the kind of person that like sees all kinds of things and then you piece all the dots together and you say it's the Lord, right? You're like pulling in the Walmart parking lot and you see like a blue Ford Focus and it's raining and there's a little child and you're like, oh, I hear you, Lord. I hear that word, God. I see that. All right, God. The rain is like your grace and I'm supposed to receive it in a Ford Focus like a kid. I get it, God. Your word is great, Lord. Right. That's you. You're, you're always testing God. Here, here's you. You're the kind of person that's like, God, I'll go to the ends of the earth if right now you pick up my pen and in some like magic Jedi God trick, you write with my pen exactly where I'm to go. And then you like set the pen down and you're like, all right, this is right. And you, like, nudge it with your knee a little bit just to, like, you know, I'll help you, God. It's all good. So some of you are there, okay? Others of you, others of you, I mean, you read insane amounts of books. Again, no pictures. You listen to an absurd amount of sermons. You're, like, you're just overload central with knowledge. You crave it. Okay, like, you're sitting in in politics in in school and someone says something and you're just like your heart starts beating fast you know when you start talking about all kinds of things that most of other people don't even care about like that's you so which way do you lean I, w- I want to see how this polls out all right how many of you lean towards God give me a sign okay Ace of Bay style all right okay and listen some of those same people who are raising your hand right now you're like Lord I see that you know <laughs> Because you were looking at your neighbor and you're like, Lord, if they raise their hand, I will raise my hand too. <laughs> I see that hand, God. You know? right? <laughs> uh, how many of you fall in the other camp? You're like, head knowledge, go time. I need to read as much as possible. All right, so, so far about 10% have responded. Um, let me try it in Espanol, okay? Like, <laughs> You lean, you lean towards one side of those camps. Paul's calling out those who seek a sign. He's calling out those who just lust for wisdom. Uh, Jesus did the same. You want to see a really cool story in Mark 8? Sure you do. Check this. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign in Mark 8 from heaven to test him. And I love this in verse 12. Jesus, and he sighed deeply. So they're wanting a sign. Seriously, can you picture this moment for a second? And just like this, this like exhale of, are you kidding me? And look what he does. This is awesome. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Why is he saying that? He's standing right in front of them. You want a sign, you got the real thing. The Messiah is looking at you in the eyes. Why does this generation seek a sign? He says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation apart from just me being here. And then he left and, and got into the boat and went to the other side. He's like, I'm out of here. Forget you guys. <laughs> right. right. Not forget you. You guys know what I'm saying. Right. Um, now, you say, I say, that I want wisdom that comes from God. I say that. My question for you is do you mean it at all? Would you see it if it came to you? Would you know it if he spoke? Would you be able to read it in God's word and say, because the reality is, again, I wish someone would have told me this, I just want you to understand what you're doing. Some of you pursuing wisdom from the Lord, he gives it, 
and you flip a big old bird right to God's word. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it really worked out, okay? That's what you're doing. God, give me wisdom. He gives it. God, should I be like lusting after my girlfriend? Should our relationship be like sexually intimate? God, should we just be going for it? And the, the scripture is clear. Like sexual immorality is a sin. And you're like, God, oh, I'll turn the page. Jesus wept. That, that, that passage is better, right? And so in doing so, what you're saying is, God, I want your wisdom, but actually not really. What I'm doing in my life then is I'm speaking things I've been trained to say, and I have no interest in fruit. So really what I'm saying then is, God, uh, I'm going to be wisdom. God, I can do it better. God, I can plan it better. God, I can write it better. So listen, God, you just take it easy. You sit back up there in that nice throne, and I'll figure it out. And in the end, I'm saved by grace through faith. And in the meantime, I'll live like hell. I'm tired of that. Because it's exhausting. And some of you are so insanely tired tonight. Because you're trying to listen to all of these voices and discern the one true voice. And you've come in here limping instead of thriving. Here's what he continues to say. So we bring this passage to a close. Next slide. The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But I love this. But we preach Christ crucified. We're not going to bow or bend the knee to what they want. The Jews want signs. We're not going to give them signs. The Greeks want wisdom. Guess what? We're going to preach Christ crucified. Simple. We're not going to come in with pixie dust, smoke and mirrors. No, we're going to preach a very simple, now timeless message of Christ crucified. The cross is power. That's what Paul says we're going to do. Not with eloquent wisdom, he says earlier, or eloquent words or nice rhetoric. The, the Corinthians were, were like burnt on those things. No, we're going to preach Christ crucified. We're not going to bend the knee. A stumbling block to Jews and follow to the Gentiles. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep preaching Christ. But to those who are called, somebody better see this, both Jews and Greeks. It doesn't matter now. In Christ, all can be saved. Slave or free, he says in another place of Scripture. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Why? He is the evidence of God's love and the embodiment of right, godly living. And so therefore, Christ is the power and wisdom of God in one. That means there's no other source. That means there's no other well. That means all of the other things that tickle your heart or that grab your ear or that lure your attention are cluttering and complicating what can be a very, very simple existence. Please hear this now as a friend of mine. Even though I don't know all of you, I love you. Please hear this. Life does not have to be dictated by this culture one more day. Listen, the world tells me my kids need to be in 17 different leagues by the time they're three. And I say, heck no. A Christian culture said a, a, a church gathering can't be on Wednesday. I don't care what wisdom of the world says. God, what do you want us to do? The culture says that I need to deal with my finances in this or, or that I should have this or that I should pursue that. And what I will do is I will spend my life chasing my own tail and everyone else's and putting back the noose that has been loosed in Christ. I like put it back on. When we have the opportunity in Christ as the fulfillment of wisdom and the embodiment of wisdom, we have the opportunity to say, no, 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 no. Life really is simple, not easy, but simple. I feel like I could have saved myself so much pain and hurt and time and energy 
if I could have seen that the simple life comes through Christ and not from David Henry Thoreau going to the wilderness, Henry David Thoreau, whatever his name is, going to the wilderness and finding peace. I don't need to find another peace. I already have it. Finally, verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Have you ever seen weakness of God in a phrase in the scripture before? So those that are like the super heady, right now you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this is, and those who are seeking a sign, you're like, God, is this, what are you trying to say through this? I, the screen's like moving right now. God, is, are you trying to hypnotize? Like, right? Like, listen, let me explain what he's saying. He's not saying God is weak. His whole message in this whole passage has been about what? Come on, what? It's been about the cross. At the cross, Christ was vulnerable. Sinful, anyone? No, sinless. Innocent, yes. But he was vulnerable. Why? He, he emptied of himself, humbled himself, Philippians 2 says. And so what Paul is attributing to of that vulnerability is weakness, though it's not weakness in God, it's vulnerability. And so what Paul is saying is, even at that moment, as the God-man Christ is vulnerable, takes on the sins of the world, even at that, God is stronger than men. And so the question is, then why don't you listen? The heart of my whole encouragement, passion, desire tonight is that you would hear that question. Why aren't you listening? And you can ask it of me, Mark, why aren't you listening? If all of this is true, if all this is right, if wisdom comes from the Lord, then why are you listening to all of the other crap? Can I tell you why? It's because it's easy. Everything that the enemy is doing, everything that the culture is doing, is saying, you'll get this quicker if. You'll feel this pleasure if. All of the answers that you're desiring can come now if. Everything is about quicker and now and convenience. And so why aren't we listening? Because those things are tempting. We chomp down on some of those things. We're like, yeah, you know, you know you're, you're right. You're right, culture. You're right, world. You're right, enemy. You're right, friend. Like, I, I need pleasure because I'm struggling inside, so I need some kind of comfort, and I don't want to be patient on that comfort to come from the God of all comfort. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to feed from the faucet of my flesh and somehow think that this can provide me something. And so we chomp down. But then guess what? What, what? what do we realize is we've just eaten manure again. Like a dog returns to its vomit, the Old Testament says. So then we come over here to the next shiny object, to the next thing that's luring our heart. And guess what we do again? Guess what I do again? Chomp down again, only to find the same result. It's easy. The gospel is simple, but not easy. The gospel is simple and eternal. And the things that come from this world are chaotic, are, 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 are complicated and temporary. So what if, listen, what if you and I could just like have a chat? What if I could grab you by the, the shirt collar for you dudes in this room? And what if I could stand at a distance with you ladies to not make it awkward, right? But what if I could just say to every one of you and then hear you saying it back to me, those of you who are believers in this room, and we just share this truth with one another. We don't have to live one more day listening to any kind of lie or temptation or lust or lure from the wisdom of the world. We already have Wisdom in Christ.
What if we could just say that to one another? What if we could believe that? What if we could live in light of that? So lastly tonight, listen, uh, first to the group of people who are perishing here, can I just tell you something? And I, I can't make you believe this, but what if you could leave here not perishing anymore? What if that was possible? What if like all of a sudden, all the ways that, that you've turned your back on God or that you've allowed some of the, the hurts and the pains of the past to dictate who God is, what if all of that could change? What if tonight you could receive forgiveness from that sin that has caused so much hurt and condemnation in your life, so much guilt? What if tonight, like you could be washed clean of that? What if tonight you could walk out of this room like the noose being gone? What if that was possible? Could I ask you, would you, would you receive it? Would you long for it? Would you desire it? And I'm just here to tell you tonight, you can. The power of the cross is that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can and will be saved. And so some of you are like, but Mark, what does that look like? Like that, do I just come and talk? Like how, how do we, how does that work, Mark? Well, I want to tell you tonight, like it's you and the Lord. Uh, maybe tonight it's just you praying, even though you've never prayed maybe in your life, it's just you speaking out like, God, God, would you help me believe in you? I, I don't even know what that looks like, but God, would you, would you help my heart trust in you? Uh, maybe it's saying like, God, would you, would you expose my heart to the reality of my sin so that I could, I, could, I could see how much I need a Savior? Or after tonight, like a whole bunch of us, including myself, are going to be up here, maybe just coming up and asking questions, call on the name of the Lord. And for those of us that are in Christ, listen, please. Tonight, every single one of us have an opportunity to see it as a new day. What if tonight, what if tonight, you could communicate and then live, I am absolutely tired of complicating the thing that can be so simple. God, I'm exhausted. God, I don't know which way is up or down. God, I'm turning to every facet of wisdom that, that can feed me. God, please tonight, draw me to you as the one source of truth. So God, guide my life. Help me believe that the cross is power. Do you believe that he could free all of us tonight? I feel like for some of you believers, maybe you've been a believer for three months or six years, I think some of you need to hear it tonight. Listen, the very thing that you say you believe isn't a mere belief system. It is the power of God. Here and now. Let's stand together. God, I'm impatient. I want to see my life change so quickly, God, and I, I, I want to see that in my brothers and sisters. But I'm just confessing, God, my impatience. But even still, even still, would you in this very second, flood our hearts, God, with the overwhelming reality of grace. God, would you clear our minds from the lies, the junk, the falsehood, the heresy, the anti-gospel stuff. Would you, God, just release our minds from all of that right now in this very second. Would you free us, God? 
Take the new soft God, the yoke of slavery. Help us embrace the reality that we already have. I pray that you'll do it as a whole in this room. I pray that then we would become the evidence of those who have been changed from your wisdom, who are experiencing your wisdom, who are living in your wisdom. God, please, tonight, in this very moment, will you show us what the cross has done? And God, I would pray that maybe for the first time in months or weeks or years, Would you help us believe that it's not just a story, but that it's your power? 